attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the history, the stories, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Craig Snower. Snower was an integral part of the camp experience when I started. He was the program director of Camp Ojibwa when I first began and would very soon after become my co-counselor in Cabin 14. You're going to hear all about that, plus his camper stories. Craig had the benefit of being there in the 80s, watching the transition years, then returning as a staff man. And ultimately, camp changed his life. But you're going to hear all about that. I go ahead and apologize now for the sound quality on this opening. The Camp Ojibwa History Project is on the road, as you know, here in sunny Los Angeles, California. But it has made things a little bit technically difficult. So today's podcast is both a day late and a little dicey on the audio quality. I apologize for that. But I assure you, we're doing good stuff out here. I'm seeing lots of guys having a great time hearing some awesome stories. Today I even met with an original camper. But that's enough about that for now. Here we go. Craig Snower on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Well, it's a one, two, three, damn, I had to come with me because you look so fine and I really want to make you mine. Uh, first and foremost, for the record, please state your name and years at camp. Uh, Craig Snower, uh, camper, 1984 to 1987, and staff from 1994 to 2006. Wow, seems like only yesterday. It's been almost 10 years. It's well, I keep showing up. That's and, true. Uh, yeah. Keep showing up and uh, <laughs> doing random jobs that no one else wants to do. So I think ACA is next year. So fire up. Um, so tell me how how did you hear about camp to begin with? My my older brother went to camp um, from 1981 to 1984. So we crossed over one year. Um, think one of our. Um, Actually, I believe it was a camper named Scott Goss, whose um, son is now at camp, and um, he's a relative of ours, and he was going. He was from Glencoe and was more in that group and uh, pulled my uh, brother in, or we found out it through him, and uh, got a uh, rare uh, Northfield or Northbrook uh, camper in the uh, in the early 80s. Yeah. And then I followed my, um, my brother there um, in 84. Nice. Yeah, that story has actually come up multiple times today with Josh Carl and with David Fine talking about the the Northbrook kids, how at that period of time, everyone was Highland Park. It was very, um, 
very big Highland Park, and it was a bit of a smaller camp because we were kind of at the end of uh, one era with the with a new era about to begin. Right. Um, but we were probably, you know, when I got there, probably between 130 to 145 kids, maybe mm-hmm. 150 and 84. Um, so it was a, a little bit smaller and very, very Highland Park centric. Yeah, and still all eight weeks, right? No, all all eight weeks. No, um, no, um, you know, go home after the first four. No, come up. That all happened in uh, my staff tenure, actually. Mm. Right on. Now, when um, when it was time for you to go to camp, did you get an official camp call? I did get an official camp call, and um, and I actually got an official camp call from um, from Mickey Schwartz and Denny Rosen. And me and uh, Sandy Rosen actually have debated this because she did not remember Denny doing uh, camp calls at that time mm. when uh, when Al uh, still on camp and Mickey was the uh, associate director or whatever his his title was. But Denny did confirm that uh, he did them. So I had a camp call by probably one of the last camp calls. I mean, not last, but probably pretty uh, late. Yeah, probably one <laughs> of the later camp calls that uh, that Mickey ever went on and. Uh, and Denny was there with the um, the old uh, film style projector and sure. and all that. <laughs> um, but it was good. Do you remember anything about that, or was it just like, did you? Was it really in question, or were you already going to Ojibwa and you knew it? I, I was pretty much going, but but even then, um, you know, and as a ten year old, because we didn't really come at seven in those days, like uh, like some people came later. Sure. But um, but I don't really remember much about Mickey. But um, I mean, you could see Denny who's you know, now looking back on it, just that infectious energy yeah. um, in all things camp. I mean, um, I mean, um, you know, it was just a guy at the time you uh, could go out and hang out with him for eight weeks. Yeah, absolutely. So, you you have the camp call. You're on board. You get on the presumably a Keishan bus and Keishan go north. Bus the time. And uh, what's the first thing you can remember about Camp Ojibwe? You know, b- before we got there, there's a story that my mother always, like, tells people kind of describing um, our personalities and our family was that, um, that we're, um, we're, we're getting on the bus, and uh, my older brother has been there four years, is getting on the bus, and he's, like, sobbing hysterical that we're leaving, and, um, and my mom's like, and you're the happiest person there um so so kind of built for camp I, i've told my mother i just wanted to get away from her for, for eight weeks uh, even back then but um but i was just you know always excited for that um um for for that for that type of environment yeah. um you know go play uh play sports all day i mean i wasn't the the greatest athlete but i was a i was a good athlete i mean i've made part of my living coaching sports now sure um but um you know, to have to be to do that, to be have some independence, and to uh, to be an environment where you get to go out and play games all day. Um, probably to this day, I can't think of anything more fun than uh, yeah. fun than doing that. Were you already like a sports kid? You were in, in, into playing a lot of sports at that point, or did camp kind of bring that out? Um, I think I always liked to play sports. I think camp made me made me better at sports. I mean, sure. we were we were still at the, you know, in the I don't know if we were in the heyday of the ultra competitive Ojibwa, but Ojibwa was still. Uh, it still is, but it was even then more competitive, and I'm sure every generation says their generation was more competitive. I'm sure, the 50s guys say the 60s, <laughs> and, and so forth. That's camp, but um, but um, you know, for me, who's gone on to, to coach a lot, um, you know, I mean, you know, camp really more than anything else brought out the competitive spirit. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a big piece of uh, my life, and um, um, you know, teaches you how to do those things, how to do those things well. Yeah, for sure. 
So you get to camp. What's your first cabin? Cabin two. Um, Shout probably, out cabin two. Probably most memorable um, for a JC named, I believe his first name was Mark Newman, but only known as, as Nooms. And <laughs> Nooms is famous because uh, all weighted meals back then. Sure. And Nooms dropped a lot of dishes as a JC waiter. And for at least 10 years, um, you know, beyond my four years of camper and even back to my first year as a staff person after a six-year break, whenever something dropped in the mess hall, there was a huge Nooms chair for, <laughs> for years. and Long and after he was gone. Long after he was gone. And, <laughs> and if, you, if you're ever at camp with, whether it's old-timers or anyone who was there in the 80s and something falls in the mess hall, that person will yell, Nooms. Bobby Jacobson <laughs> yells Nooms to this day when he's at a restaurant and something drops. <laughs> so Nooms was Nooms was actually my counselor in his one or two year glorious years as a as an Ojibwe legend, I guess. Nice. Uh, do you remember any of the guys that you were in there like uh, campers with? Uh, any friendships that lasted? Or? Um, I remember I remember a lot of the names um, and we'll see them occasionally, whether it's at camp or somewhere around the neighborhood. Um, I'm pro- I don't know if I'm unique, but my more long-lasting friendships from camp really came in my staff tenure as opposed to my sure. uh, my camp tenure, and I think that was one the the separation because it was very Highland Park centric, and that's not to say that I didn't have friends at camp, and but I had more camp friends and then and then home friends, and um, and you know my again my relationships or my friendships that have lasted are ones that I met on my kind of second tour of duty as I yeah. as I affectionately call it. Well, we'll certainly get to that. Do not do not hesitate. But uh talking about your camp career. So you get there and you're playing sports, you got your leagues. What are the things that really stick out once you've been there a little bit and you have your feet on the ground? What are the things that you end up really loving at camp? Um oh, god, it's a tough one, Chris. Uh, <laughs> um you know, you, you know, I think as a younger camper, back in the eight-week days, and you when you like sports, th- those leagues were were big. I mean, certainly bigger than they are now, and not that they're not important. But I mean, you were on those you were on those teams, and you were on those teams for you know seven weeks. Right, you're um, playing a lot of games. Yeah, I mean that would mean which is you know a lot different now. I mean now you're you're on those teams for three weeks and you're doing something else. But yeah. you know in those days you would play your leagues for for six weeks. And pretty much straight, you'd have we had more instructional um, with when particularly the first, you know, two years and even even the even the eighty six and eighty seven after camp got sold. Mm. Um, but you know, you play two or three sports a day, and um, and you were on those teams a long time. And then um, and then you had the week off because we used to have collegiate week in the seventh week. Right. So we'd have the week off for collegiate week. Then you come back into the playoffs, and um, you know, if you were like the team that was picked to win and, and you lost, I mean, that was like. That was like devastating. I mean, in certain ways, I don't think they were bigger than the week, but um, but um, but I mean, you know, they were big. I mean, you yeah. uh, you blew a play that cost your team the softball, it cost your team the, the Peach League championship. I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, um, and, not to be too specific. But yeah. and I was at camp a long time, and I'm not on a ton of plaques, which kind of pains me. Sure, pains me to this day. And um, I think in um, in '85, which was my second year, I was must have been. I don't know if it was peach or grapefruit because it does blend together a little bit, but you know we had this like softball team. We won like twenty some games, lost like one, and we lost in the playoffs on a oh. 
air by our center fielder who remained nameless, and you know, it was like it was like, it was like devastating. And um, and that, you know, that poor we, sad you know, center like, fielder whose name we will not say. Right, and like and like um, we had a we had a soccer team, um, you know, and not that soccer's ever been the biggest uh, sport at Ojibwe, sure. but that's my sport, and I was. We had a team that I don't know how we got it, but we had um, Blaine Barnett, who was a longtime camper and staff person. He was unbelievable soccer player, and um, and and I played on that team, and, and I played, and we're both on the same team. And we lose the game all year. We come back after Collegiate Week. We choke away the final. I wow. mean, I mean, we're sitting there, you know, you know, just balling on the way back from the far field. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it was like it was like tragic. So yeah. um, so those things were, you know, the. the the leagues were great, but um, I think the other thing was that the, the the hangout time was different because rest period was more, you know, rigid on you're in your cabin. Mm. There wasn't the the water skiing and all that stuff going on. Right. It wasn't kind of rest period light as maybe it's become a little bit. So you know, I think our bond with, with our cabin mates and our time we spent with them um, during rest period um, after taps and because there was a little bit more downtime, back then because we were on a you know we were really on a three period a day schedule right the structure of the whole day was right. different because now we have seven periods in a day right and we really had three so yeah. we spent a lot of time um you know with our cabin mates but um and uh it was interesting the even and same thing today but the collection of different type of people you can get in the cabin i mm. remember you know you and even in cabin two you had you had the guys that um you know were you know, were the athletes. I mean, I mean, and they were the, you know, the kids who walked around thinking they owned the place. Um, sure. You know, I got some names if you want them. <laughs> well. um, so, um, <laughs> Let's keep um, it positive. And, um, you know, and then they were fine. And then you had, um, and you had some kids who, you know, who weren't that big in the sports, but like there were things at camp who I think started to come out a little bit more at the, uh, in the eighties and certainly the nineties. Yeah. And, um, and, um, but you could all, you could all get along, um, in a cabin in the context of a cabin. Um, so that was really unique. Yeah. And it's kind of a life lesson because you, um, those are people you have to get along with uh, later in life, whether it's your job or anything else. So yeah, for sure. To me, was always a kind of a microcosm of life, and we just did it through sport and competition and, and living with people, and um, you can apply a lot of those things later on. Yeah. I think you really bring up a good point, though. You, you mentioned the, that the 80s sort of brings out those kids who aren't so great at athletics but have a place at camp. Because there were certainly guys before the 80s who did that, but that term have a place at camp was a lot harder road for them. Whereas in the 80s and then certainly into the 90s, it sort of became more accepting of, you know, d- kids had different talents and some of them weren't athletics. Yeah, I think they 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 started to appear, we'll say, a little bit more often in the 80s, you know, maybe a, a, a two or three a cabin. And, you know, we're in the pre-bunk bed era, so you're – and we're still – small enrollment, so you're right. looking at 12, 15 kids a cabin. Um, and certainly by the, the 90s, um, you know, it was a lot more prevalent. I mean, I think the, the kind of the most unique thing about the evolution of the the not great athlete was, and your, your term place at camp is, is really cool, is that as we got into the, the 90s and uh, and certainly the, the early part of this century, I mean, those kids took on their – some of those kids took on unbelievable personalities at camp. Absolutely. When we talk about guys like uh, – you know, Robert Zacharias always comes to mind. And, Absolutely. Um, I mean, as someone who, who, um, you know, probably got there and w- couldn't stand a sport to save its life, <laughs> and um, and but learned to play him and got some things out of it, and was just as competitive as anyone else in the end. But also, just was this, 
you know, great personality to have around and, uh, you know, someone a lot of, you know, guys of that generation, which is, you know, one younger than me, but would never have been, never met or whatever. And, right, uh, right. And that's, a, you know, an experience in by itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that camp can be proud of in that, that evolution specifically is something that camp can be proud of. Not that, you know, the almighty sports camp of the 50s and the super competitiveness of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Not that that stuff isn't great, and that's part of our tradition, and it's great. But I think that one of the really nice evolutions is opening the door, being a little more all-inclusive, and giving a different set of people a chance to succeed at camp. And then they do so. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, when you really think about it, it's hugely important because in the day and age of what, you know, youth sports has become in this country in general – um, you know, those are the kids that are the, the bulk of camp. I mean, yeah. they like to play sports, you know, and the ones who don't, but the, the you know, quote-unquote superstar athlete is going to be the, uh, you know, the big high school varsity star or certainly the college athlete. I mean, um, those kids, you know, aren't campers after a right. certain age. So, they just can't um, be, yeah. Right. I mean, the the, the evolution of, of, of what camp has become is why camp is still successful. Yeah, for sure. Moving away from the athletics a little bit, when you were there as a camper, uh, I always like to talk about the fact that while athletics has been super important to camp, that ever since the beginning, also the entertainment side of camp has been a big deal, whether it's the minstrel shows, the Jubilee, stunt night, intercabin sing, you name it, that's always been an important and arguably relevant part of Camp Ojibwe. <laughs> One could say it's why I was brought in, but that's uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, as a camper... <laughs> Uh, it, <laughs> were these things that you took part in? Uh, it's scary because in cabin two, we sang Bob Aran for inner cabin sing. And oh. I still hum it in the shower once in a while. <laughs> I don't sing. I'm not a huge music person. Um, but for some reason that has always, always stuck with me learning that song at camp. And, um, now, you know, you're, you're in the old days here. So you, you get away with a little more than you did but you know sure. cabin sing was still a big deal in 1984 and this was a competition that you wanted to win and yeah. i was one of the ones who you know couldn't uh, remember my words so <laughs> me and um one or two other kids were uh, probably out on the far field or not probably were out on the far field after taps illegally in the rain probably wearing very <laughs> little clothing and having to get our words right or we weren't uh, getting getting out of it so um <laughs> hypothetically speaking that might have happened all <laughs> hypothetically but um i think i remember that happening i'm, I'm, sure. I'm not sure but um so but inner cabin sing was a big deal inner cabin sing was uh what was definitely a big deal and we also had i don't remember the name of it but you you've probably heard it in one of these other podcasts we we had like cabin stunts and and for the life of me mm. i cannot remember what what they were called um, cause it, it disappeared. So like a stunt night, but, but by cabin, by cabin. And, Interesting. and what would, what happened if I recall right someone, and I don't know if it was Mickey, I don't know if it was Denny, I don't know if it was Elliot, but we, they had like 13 objects in like a hat mm. and we, and I don't know if it was a one year thing, a two year thing, a 50 year thing. Um, but you'd have to, when someone from your cabin would pick the object out of the hat and you'd have to do like a, a little, five-minute uh, skit about it. So, um, nice. So that was fun. But inner cabin sing was, um, was, was definitely a big thing. Kind of my other musical story is that, um, that in 86, after, um, you know, Denny and his group uh, bought camp, there was this thing that everyone was going to 
was going to be in the Jubilee. Mm. And, I, and I think everyone was already in there in their cabin groups, but but for some reason this year everyone is going to have a more prominent role, and it could have been something to do with that. We only had like 116 kids at camp. Sure. But, um, but I remember being called into the concert's lodge with two other kids, and I don't remember who they were, and um, and Elliot looking at the three of us and saying, everyone has to sing in the Jubilee this year, so we have to figure out what we're going to do with you three because you three are the three worst singers in this entire <laughs> camp. Uh, I don't remember what we ended up doing, <laughs> but I do remember being told by by my friend and later mentor, Elliot Friedman, that I am the worst singer in the entire camp. Fostering the young minds. Right. Yeah, <laughs> That's fantastic. <clears throat> um, outside of that kind of stuff, when you were a camper, any of the other things that stick out, Gold Rush Day, Circus Day, anything that you liked or, I mean, overnighters, any of that kind of nonsense? Um, so I, I have, what, a 16-year camp career and a bunch of years helping out. I was on a grand total of two overnighters. One was my first year as a camper in Cabin 2, and one was my first year as a counselor in Cabin 1. And <laughs> let's just say they are not my favorite experiences of my Ojibwa camper and counselor totally career. Totally fair. Totally um, fair. They weren't, they, they weren't horrible. The, 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 the counselor one was a little bit better because we had a, a guy working for a few years named Tom Dorsch who had the nickname of the Pathfinder. Mm. And he would come in and he led that one. And um, he led the one as a staff person. And that wasn't too bad, but I was just fine when I got uh, – promoted to the right side of the rec hall and didn't have to, uh, <laughs> didn't have to go in there. I've always loved Gold Rush Day, um, which is a Denny Rosen creation from his program director days. I thought it's a great day. Uh, as program director, I brought it back one or two times, and um, I've always thought that was fun. For some reason, that day seems to get the, uh, the, the short end of the stick, but um, um, mainly because I think as they got older, people would, um, would get... Um, murdered trying to pan for gold and people yes. would just kill each other and everyone <laughs> was in there um um booker records day was oh, uh yeah, was, absolutely. A, was a really fun one um that was pretty big when i was a camper mm-hmm. um and they hadn't been done in a while um probably for the same type of reason i i brought it back a couple of times as a as a program director and it was a and this is more in my concert days probably for a story for a different moment but but i just remember um it was a pretty cold day, and uh, the day we did Booker Records Day, and there's a lot of things like how many times can you jump into the lake off sure, the diving of board, how many do this, <laughs> and we had like cabin two or three, and it was was doing <laughs> diving board jumps, and the kids are like being uh, being taken out by like by the nurse, like headed to the infirmary, <laughs> and um, I mean, you know, um, I've had some nurses look at me different ways at Ojibwa, but this one was not a good way. Um, so um, I, I cannot remember the nurse's name was, but she was here for two or three years. But wow, um, that was that was a look of death. But um, I remember as a camper. Uh, we were running bases on the far field and with how many times that we could collectively run around the group after it was. And, you know, you, again, you're back in those days. And as again, back in those cabin, my cabin two days, we're, we're running the bases on uh, diamond four, which is uh, now far field one or right. the, the, new, the new little league diamond. And um, so you had to run around the bases and the kid in front of you couldn't start until the first one got to first base. And this was how the, the record was, was written. So we only got 12 kids in the cabin. So, um, you know, if you've got four people on the bases at a time, you know, there's only eight people resting. You're not resting for wrong. And right. we're, you know, we're 10 years old. And, um, 
and you know our, our concerts aren't letting up. I mean, they want that. They, they want that record. Of course. I mean, I mean, this was. They're not running the bases. I mean, you know, I've I've done a lot of physical fitness things in my days, and this could have been the toughest workout of uh, you know of my life. One wow. hour of of nonstop running the ba- running the bases. <laughs> I ran the bases more in that hour than I did in you know four other years as a camper playing in in leagues and, and collegiate week. Wow. Well, the new system now that seems to be going well so far is sort of a rotation of days. So book records will happen, but it won't happen every year. And circus day will happen, but it won't necessarily. So we kind of rotate them to keep them fresh, I think, until someone comes up with the next great gold rush day. Uh, Dakota Brown, we're not looking at I was you. Say <laughs> we do not need your help. Thank uh, you. That one, that one didn't work out so good, but it was, it, it, it was a bold effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's jump ahead then to staff man, Craig Snower. What brings you back? Um, what brought me back was, um, so I, I left camp to, to play high school soccer, um, you know, and beyond. And um, I was done with my playing portion of that by the end of my, um, um, by the time I was coming back. And, um, and I spent a summer at home, um, the summer of 93. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, working all the time and, and, and playing sports. So, um, so quite frankly, I mean, I was 19, 20 years old and, um, spent a long time sitting around doing nothing, but, uh, going downtown and drinking with my friends. Mm. And, um, and it was, it was just a, a summer of, of nothing. And I was back at college. I went to the university of Iowa and I was sitting around as it got to like January. And I'm like, I don't want to have a summer like last summer where I'm bumming around doing nothing and um and I, I actually don't know what hit me because I hadn't thought a ton about camp since you know in a couple of years sure. um um the um and I said you know I woke I said I'm gonna call uh gonna call camp and see if I can come back and and um and work and I called um I called Elliot um first and um and I'm like, you, I'm like, you remember who I am? He's like, not only do I remember who you are, but it's the middle of a Star Trek episode. And I'm going to talk to you, so I must have liked you. So, um, <laughs> so, I, so I had a good start there. And he actually remembered a funny story because my last year at camp was 87. But on the night before camp in 88, um, when I was going to stay home to play high school sports, I had like a last-second wig out and wanted to go to camp. And I think I must have called Elliot like at 11 o'clock at night and, um, and <laughs> so he's been in bed for six and, hours. And said, right. right. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to bed quite that early back then, but, but maybe. And, uh, and he's like, call Sandy. And this is back in 88. And then I called Sandy and Sandy's asleep. And, and it's like, call Elliot. And I just kind of said, uh, screw it. And, um, probably said it in a different language than sure. that. And, and about two days later, Elliot called me and this is again back in 88. And he's like, did you want to come back to camp? And I'm like, and I'm like, uh, you know, what kind of a momentary thing I do and I don't and didn't end up going on. So in Elliot actually had remembered that and, um, and, you know, and he put me back in touch with Denny and, um, and they had some room. We weren't quite as, um, when I was coming back, I was already, already the age of a second year SC. So I just Mm. gave my last four or five, four years as a camper, my first three years as a staff person, whatever it was. And, um, and we weren't as heavy SC back then, like we are now, we didn't have the great retention on the on the kids right you know we didn't have as many older campers who became staff so um they're happy to get another uh sc if presumably one they could stick in cabin one sure um and <laughs> um and um you know um was actually um 
you know, showed up on the first day of, um, of pre-camp and, um, and great. Nice. And would change your life, but we'll get to that part in a little (laughs) bit. So you come back and how long are you, uh, just sort of a regular staff guy before you start doing program stuff? Um, I was probably, I think I was just an SC for about three years and then I, um, and then I was the head of the junior counselors uh, for a couple of years. I'm in '99. Um, I was only there the really the last three or four weeks. A um, um, couple of things that happened at home with um, with the situ- not with a soccer situation that mm-hmm. I had to kind of stay home and manage. And then I ended up coming back and um, and for the end of it and and doing that. And then kind of went full time with the. With um, the program and all of that, and um, early in 2000, yeah. um, but had a couple of various other um, head staff jobs before sure. that. Uh, so before any of that stuff happens, when you're just an SC, how? W- tell me a little bit about what that experience is like, especially having jumped straight from being only a camper to now, your first experience as being an SC. I think the toughest thing for me was that camp had changed a lot in six years. Oh, and, sure, of and course. I probably didn't know as much about it. I was there. You know, I was there during the um, the changeover from from Alan Mickey to to Denny and Sandy, right? Um, and and a lot changed right away in '86, '87. I mean, just with the effort to really to more to revitalize the facility and and start, you know, cleaning it, modernizing. Not that camp was always clean because Al was a was a was a clean freak, but um, you know, putting money into the the courts and stuff like that, mm-hmm. trying new things. They try to camper lounge in, uh, 86, which was not a really big hit. Um, but, um, <laughs> I've heard about the camper lounge in 86. I've seen pictures that yeah, I know have so to be the camper lounge, the, plywood walls, uh, arcade games, right? Computer, yeah. Apple II computers. Ooh. Yeah. There was, um, Oregon trail yeah, all day. There <laughs> president elect, Oregon <laughs> trail, a little micro league baseball. Sure. Um, I do have to say I was probably in there a couple more times than it should have been in 86, <laughs> but, um, but, but, um, you know, there was some, uh, you know, there were some things that, you know, you come back and, and it was a lot of the same guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got there and I wasn't gone that long. I mean, you know, you get there and, and Darren Annixter is still there mm-hmm. who, uh, who I know you've had on one of these, um, Adam Bohm was, uh, not a cabin mate of mine, but he was an age group person of mine, Blaine Barnett, who I mentioned before. Yeah. And back those days in prep camp, Denny used to put us all together in like two cabins for the first two or three cabins for the first, um, you know, two or three nights to, to mm. bond. So that was kind of like being a camper again. Oh, that's cool. Um, but, you know, there there was a lot of things that wasn't drastic, but there was a lot of things that that, uh, that, Denny, that Denny did, Sandy did, Elliot did by extension to kind of bring camp out of the 50s into the into the 80s at the time and then into the into the 90s. Um, you know, it's like that, you know, first day of camp, you wake up and you're not doing dip or shower. It's like, what happened, Dan? Right. <laughs> and, and, right. And uh, you just, <laughs> I, I always remember that story because like the first day I walked over to Elliot, I'm like, what happened to dip or shower? He goes, you know, Craig, one day we looked at each other and uh, we looked at each other and said, why are we still doing this? And, <laughs> and, um, and we said, we don't know. <laughs> so, um, so it was gone. And now that it's gone, we, we don't really miss it. You know, so, you say that, but I will tell you, there are some rumblings of bringing back fully clothed. Let me say that right up, right up front, fully clothed dipper shower next year. That wouldn't be a bad idea, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. So get them um, out, get some exercise, get wet. <laughs> you know, um, um, I, I work in what, in one of my professions I work with, uh, 
an ex Ojibwa guy who's uh, ten years older than me, and uh, and every you know anytime you're we're watching any, anything and it's uh, and there's a countdown like nine eight seven six five four it always it and we're in the same room it always ends with uh with an with an Al Schwartz with an Al Schwartz yell nine eight seven six five four three two one ho <laughs> so uh, that that that's translated to my office and everyone looks at us like what's going on so uh, so awesome. definitely uh, had an and as a camper we we thought it was we, we was fine I mean um, we did it but. Um, you know, you're sitting there uh, in 1994. It's like, yeah, it's probably uh, probably for the best. But um, I, I would actually, if I was still working there and had a vote on it, I would fully uh, support a, a fully clothed, bathing suited, um, morning wake up, nice. jump in the lake. Um, that would that would be quality. Yeah, I um, uh, I feel bad supporting it since I have not been in the lake in a decade. But uh, I fully I think it's a good idea. I think it'll be fun. You know, and then the other thing for me was I was in the very early part of my of my coaching career, mm. um, as a, as a, as a soccer coach. And, um, and, but a lot of my, you know, obviously I had played sport, played high school sports and, um, and a lot of my coaching came from that, but, you know, you go back into camp and you're kind of used to how you, how you were getting yelled at, like in, um, like in, uh, you know, the early eighties. Sure. And, um, so, you know, I would go in and, you know, I would, I would I would think I know everything and I would do that it's like it's like you know whoa Craig we we try not to do that <laughs> try not to do that anymore so I had a I had a I had a few run-ins with uh with uh Glenn Nesper who was the head counselor and yeah. um and um Elliot had to uh and had to chill me out once or twice and um had a nice chat uh, during collegiate week with uh, with with Denny once. That was um, <laughs> still trying to recover from from that one. Sure. So, um, so I kind of had to um, you know get move myself. Had to kind of you know figure out what was the the new and quite frankly much better version yeah. um, of Ojibwa for for my money in the in the uh, mid to late '90s and certainly into the into the 21st century. So. Yeah. Um, so um, I was relatively fiery back then, and I still have those moments and occasion, and I trace them back to, um, you know, bad, bad airs at uh, second base on the, on the pineapple softball <laughs> diamond um, back, in the, back, back. back in the day. <laughs> so uh, at what point do you move into 14, cabin 14 being the dad's lodge, formerly the dad's lodge? Now are you, oh, that's actually a good question. When you come back as a staff, is it still the dad's lodge at that point? No, it, it's gone. To, right it's, it's gone started. to fourteen. So I think my actually my potential year had I been in it was the first group to have been cabin fourteen. Hmm. So I actually could have been a pioneer in fourteen. Although that first year, um, it was I believe they lived in the the, the rooms in the lodge, if hmm. I'm not mistaken, um, and then it moved into into fourteen the next year. So. Um, so when I came back, when I took the half summer off, I came back in '99, in uh, in '14, and then was there um, for the duration. Um, but I had some great years. You know, I you know it's I loved being in the in the regular cabins. I mean, I, I, mean, yeah. I didn't love cabin one too much, although I don't know if those kids were one of our best 14s we ever had. My cabin one was um, was Asher Wenig, who uh, as a six-year-old or whatever he was uh, actually he was in his second year there okay right, right second of three cabin one years he was the first or at least the first modern era 10-year camper right yeah and um brett pearson who was there forever who was those were all my one of my cabin 14s i think in 2002 mm-hmm. um 
um, so those Tim Shovers, so um, those are kids who sure. lasted forever. Noodleman. So, and, so, and Noodleman came uh, a little bit later. I think those were the three. Um, oh, I guess Jeff Riola, so those are the three that were in Cabin 1 and then with me probably a year earlier because they did, all did two years in Cabin 1 with Asher during 3. Um, but I was in Cabin 7 in 95, um, as which was the first year that um, you mentioned all eight weeks. 95, mm-hmm. at some point... Between when, when I would, at between my camper and concert years, they had started letting kids go home after first four, or try camp for first four, and go home. Um, but '94, which is my first year back on staff, was the last year of of all eight weeks or four weeks and go home. Mm-hmm. And then in '95, they started uh, bringing in second four week uh, campers for the first time. So I kind of got to see that that whole um, wow. progression firsthand, which was um, really kind of ingenious because I'm sure. They debated it um, over and over again, but sure. when you look at it in retrospect, I mean, just huge move for the the viability of the viability of camp. I think when I came back in um, in '94, I want to say the number that sticks in my head, and I you know was just a concert, but it was like 178 kids or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was after Louis Lapat, the famous uh, documentary filmmaker. Um, decided to become the first ever older camper to leave after four weeks. He had actually pre-negotiated to go home and get his driver's license. So, oh, wow. Um, so, um, so when he came back to the documentary, we all made fun of him for that. Um, so, but so you're saying so it was a thing that even though you could do it, really only the youngest kids did. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, you could only do it if oh, you I were see, first. You could only camper. do it if you were first. So I whenever see. they started it, which again I don't know when it was, it was sometime between you know, 88 and, and 94. I mean, I'm sure they did it for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a first-year camper, you can come for just four, and then you could go home at the four-week mark. Um, but no one could come up. But Pat had negotiated with Denny to, to go home, and we ridiculed him in pure Ojibwa fashion, as he should have been <laughs> uh, ridiculed on that. But uh, he actually admitted the that error years, uh, years later, so I think it's safe to tell the story. But 95, the the kids started to come up, but I, you know, I had a group in 95 that, um, that was just fantastic. Um, had a group in 96, um, that was in cabin eight. That was, that was great. So, um, I actually kind of resisted. I could have moved into 14 a couple of years earlier and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to do it. Um, cause I, at that time was enjoying that cabin, but certainly moving into 14, uh, prolonged my, my camp longevity by a long margin. Cause I, th- um, cause I don't think there's only, so long you can uh, be in that uh, be in that mix and yeah, uh, absolutely. As, you, as you get older. So fourteen was uh, was a great move. Yeah, uh, you have a very you've already touched on it a little bit. You have a very close relationship with Elliot Friedman. How did that come? How did that grow? Was uh, give us a little insight on that and maybe a good Elliot story or six. <laughs> um, I I always liked Elliot. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought I mean, you know, and I think one of the the geniuses of of modern Ojibwa. Um, you know, and I think I touched on the numbers, you know, as a camper in there, but, um, you know, we were 285 kids, uh, in 2002, right. second four and 240, 250 first four. So, yeah, it was a huge know, year. You, you look at what Denny accomplished, you know, from, from 86 with 120 of us and sitting at, you know, 285, 290, um, you know, for, for a four week session at 250 in 2002. And, you know, uh, that really you know, you know, yeah, 15 years, but that's, that's an amazing thing in any business, and yeah. particularly in, in the camping business. But I, I always thought, um, you know, the genius of it was that 
was really turning camp into age appropriate. I mean, you know, cabin oneers treated like cabin oneers, cabin fivers treated like cabin fivers, and then certainly, where I think Ojib was always excelled is that um, is that older kids program which Elliot ran for so many years. Yeah. Um, that year in two thousand and two, um, which was those years my original cabin one campers were 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 now up there, uh, were now there. I mean, we had uh, we had thirty four kids in cabin fourteen with just the two of us. Yeah. I mean, that was. Um, and that was just a remarkable uh, group that we, we still keep in contact with, working on a reunion. So, nice. Um, so we, we got some things um, going on there. But Elliot, um, I, I mean, I always liked Elliot, you know, as a camper. I mean, we had um, – um, I'm more athletic than him, thank God. So um, that's, a, that's a start. <laughs> but um, Having know, said that, I do have a photograph of him having you in a figure four leg lock on the green room floor. Right. And we're very thankful this is an audio <laughs> podcast only because that um that photo in the museum <laughs> Ooh, I gotta I, I, i'll that. tell you something about that calf lock and i am not the first camper staff to go into the elliott calf lock and i don't know if they've been brought up before but i mean man that guy had to be he had to I mean, we don't like to talk about his age but he was definitely i mean i was in my early 20s for that picture probably yeah. and or mid-20s at best and you know which which puts him you know We'll give, him, we'll give him early 50s, but I think I'm being nice to you there, Al. And, um, <laughs> and I mean, you know, I said something to piss him off, and I swear to God, that freaking guy, I mean, he moved so damn quick. I it was mean, incredible. I mean, I was just like, I was like in shock. <laughs> I mean, all, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, and a leg lock, Sandy Rosen's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Denny's laughing his ass off. I mean, I mean, um, Denny's like, yo, please, no one show this to the parents. I mean, we don't, we don't, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was, it was amazing, but uh, <laughs> where were we at? So, um, so back when I was like, a camper, yes. um, you know, we, we had some similar interests, um, you know, um, you know, we were both movie guys at the time. Um, um, I don't know if I was always a, a Star Trek fan or if he got me into it, mm-hmm. but, um, but if it did, it came from him talking about it and watching it at home. So, um, um, and, but again, I didn't talk to him probably since in from 87, since that day in the summer in 88, when he called me to see if I wanted to come back to camp until I got back in 94. But I think as, um, as adults, um, you know, we were similar in philosophy about about um, about you know kids and our outside interests. Um, you know, sporting events which he likes to watch, if not play. Yes, um, certainly. And um, and we're we're very compatible. And um, you know, probably um, I hope he won't mind me saying this. I mean, um, he, which is probably the best compliment I've ever gotten, is that um, from a camp thing is that um, I think. Me being in 14, he would say probably extended his run um, in 14 for for a few years, which I think is great because I think those kids got so much out of uh, yeah. of, of him being you know a counselor and having um, that you know friend not counselor personality as right. uh, as you've heard that speech. Yeah, absolutely, and I would agree with it. I um, and if you don't, for those who don't know, uh, in 2003 I move into cabin 14 with the two of you. And so the three of us are together. And uh, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that your friendship collectively kept him motivated to still be there and to, to have fun with it and to not sort of uh, ball up a little bit and, and cut himself off, which, you know, he had every right to do. He'd already been in the, in the cabin for however many years at that point. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, and, and what he has said is that since I was significantly, clo- you know, was, was younger, 
but I was such good friends with him, you know, and I was kind of in the middle at, as we got into the later right. part of that, that I could, you know, I helped him bridge it a little bit. So Absolutely. I think he might give me too much credit on that, but, um, but, um, you know, those were some, you know, those are some, you know, the, the three or four years, um, you know, we were in there, like I said, 2002, 34 kids, two staff, um, you know, I think that would be unheard of, uh, uh <laughs> right. nowadays, but, um, you know, we always joked around that, um, you know, like you meant, made mention of earlier, he's a relatively early to sleep type personnel, not so much at camp, but, um, but, um, he, um, you know, he, you know, he's like, this works out great. I mean, I go to bed at nine o'clock and you, and, and you wake up at nine o'clock, nine PM. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, you know, we exactly. were, and we had some years that the, you know, the kids were so fun in there. I mean, and, you know, by that time I was in my mid twenties. I mean, I wasn't going out, um, partying every night with, uh, with, uh, with the JCs. Right. So, I mean, if anything, we would go out for dinner, you know, and be back by, be back by taps or right after. And, um, and just had a great time with a bunch of a bunch of kids hanging out. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, those years, and when you came in there, and uh, I think TJ mm-hmm. uh, Todd Jacobson eventually joined us. I mean, uh, um, that helped probably help both of us because um, right. um, by that time I was doing more, you know, not as much work as he did from home, but was doing more work on my uh, my uh, forty uh, what is it forty four week job a year. Oh, and, right. um, so um, <laughs> plus trying to do the program and. As we all know, I love to work till two in the morning because that's how I am. So um, um, I will tell you, Elliot was never uh, shy on calling me on my bullshit. So um, sure. um, uh, you know, you asked for an Elliot story, and this is not you know nothing you know great. But I always remember sitting at a head staff meeting, and um, it was after the Olympics, which is obviously one of the bigger events that we run as a program staff, mm-hmm. and we're going around doing. Uh, goodwill and welfare in the head staff meeting, and this guy's doing great, this guy's doing great, and Rachel uh, Losoff turned to goes, you know, and Craig just did an unbelievable job in the Olympics. I mean, he was up to, like, 4 a.m. working on that last night, and Elliot's like, Rachel, he started at 2.30 a.m., so let's not give him too much <laughs> too much credit. So, so um, nice. uh, things like that, he's always uh, good and still is good at, uh, at, um, at putting into place, but, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, a moment with, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, a moment with campers, but uh, there, there, there's so many of them. I'm sure one will pop up sure. here as we keep talking. Absolutely. No, it was a, uh, it was definitely a great time. And uh, the four of us together, once TJ came in as well, like that, we had a great run of kids, a lot of great years of stuff in there. And, and listen, everything, the reason I stayed at camp, uh, my f- I came for a year. I took a year off. I came back and I didn't get accepted until after that. I got into 14. Uh, Elliot and by extension, you were a big part of teaching me to be a camp guy. I taught you how to rough softball. Well, that's a whole, we're going to get to that in a second. But, uh, but in terms of like being an Ojibwe guy and being accepted as an Ojibwe guy and being a part of that really came out of that out of that piece of the relationship. And so, I, I mean, for me and my longevity camp and this very thing we're sitting here doing, none of that would have happened without that. So I thank you but for that for sure. And, yeah, but isn't that kind of the, the thing with Ojibwe in the modern era, though? I mean, and you, um, you know, you come in and you're the new person on the block and it's a, it is a fraternity, um, you yeah. know, to, to an extent, and, you, and you've got to get accepted. But, you know, if you, uh, if you come back, okay, now you're kind of, you know, now you're kind of in, you've gone through that initial year. Cause I had that a little bit in 94, even though I had been there for years. I mean, that was, right. and that was an odd, um, 
an odd, an odd, uh, an odd year for me. So um, actually, Todd Jacobson um, still gets mad at me about '94 because, um, <laughs> because, and I'll tell the story because because you know TJ didn't need it anyway, as we as we know with his size. But but um, so '94 was still um, you know I came back to camp and again I had the six year gap, so I'm still into the illegal food run mode as opposed to the approved food run mode. So sure. you know there was this, and I was in cabin one. The kids are asleep, and you know. So eight o'clock at night or whatever, there's nothing to do. So, um, um, you know, um, you know, you're 19 years old. You, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the fake ID to, to go into town. So, you know, right. you're hanging out with the, old, the older kids. So, you know, I used to go get certain kids in cabin eight, uh, food on a regular basis. And, uh, one of them was Brett Kornblatt. One of them was Lee Schneider. And one of them was, uh, Barry Kessler, but Todd Jacobson still at camp to this day. And one of my good friends who was at his <laughs> wedding and, um, and so forth. Um, you know, he slept in a bed right in between these people. So <laughs> I would actually give the food to the three of them and, um, and skip Todd. And, um, and, um, you know, in retrospect, I'm not very proud of that, but it does make a, it does make for a really good story. And, you know, I think kind of the defense of me on it is that, um, you know, years later, I probably saved Todd's job when he worked, didn't work all summer except on one of the nurses, and um, wow. and um, that's official, folks. We just got that right out on the podcast. Throw that one, uh, throw that one out there. <laughs> so I probably did save his job, and Todd had some years where he had some extra pounds on him. So I'm not sure contributing to that as a child would have been the best thing ever. So Todd, in front of the entire Ojibwe Nation, I apologize, but I think I have more than made up for it since then. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, uh, let's talk about program staff. So you move in to be in the program director. What's that like? What's, uh, tell me a little bit about well, what's great about that. Tell me a little bit about what you feel like you contributed to camp in that manner. Um, I don't know. Good program staff story. Yeah, um, yeah. The program job was was a lot of fun at the time. It, it's interesting. Um, every summer when I go up there, I I will sit in there and whoever the program director, I'll do a program with them. And then I say to myself, "Man, I can't believe I did this six times a day for like eight years." But but um, but but back when when we were doing it, um, you know, it was good. Um, um, probably my contribution to it was the modern program form was uh was my design um and um um talking about elliot calling you on your shit um you know i did it and they tried to do it i guess a few years earlier and it, and it bombed out but i devised something over the summer that that worked really well and uh you know elliot gets to camp and denny's like you should see what craig's done with this program thing he computerized the whole thing and elliot looks at denny and goes well he had no choice he can't he can't write no one could read his handwriting so which elliot is right about i have the worst handwriting on the face of the earth so i had no choice if i was going to succeed in this job was to find a way uh to computerize it so in uh in uh, 2000 we ran the program off my laptop um, in the early days of, not the early days of laptops, but they weren't the, the greatest things. And right. in 2001, they finally bought us a computer for the, uh, for the, uh, for the program, uh, for the program thing. My uh, original co, um, my original co-program director was Margie Weinberg, um, the, um, granddaughter of, um, of Al Schwartz. Yes. So Who has one. appeared on the podcast. So, um. Um, did she tell you all her stories? Oh, um, definitely not. <laughs> we'll keep it that way. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, but, but she was, she was great. And, um, she was actually really good for me because, uh, she didn't know the sports or the officials or anything like that, but, but, um, 
she was ridiculously organized. So we were we were a real good team for um, for two and a half years, and then uh, so we worked together in two thousand two hundred one, and in two hundred two um, she was married by then and was and was pregnant. Um, so she was um, commuting. Um, um, actually, it had been two thousand and three. I think we must have done three years together. Um, she was commuting back and forth, and then um, had a had a scary car accident on her way back for an appointment, and then uh, did not return. Mm. So um, so then I went solo with an assistant after that. Um, but um, um, you know, the <laughs> if there's a program story, I'm not sure how um, how many funny stories there are about program beyond. Sure. Uh, you know, people bitching about their teams, their trades, um, right. not getting enough UAs. We we definitely cleaned up the the UA procedure. I think in the the pre me and when when Rachel did it, when Rachel Losoff did it, she kind of had it cleaned up. But when other people were were doing it, your UAs were based on um, on um, you know how much the program director liked you. Sure. One year they were based on how good you were on, on, on staff, which never made any sense because you're that good on staff. You probably should be doing something with right. the kids not having UAs. <laughs> right. So I could never figure that out, but we kind of cleaned up that system and, um, and actually started tracking those. Um, but, you know, if, if, um, if there's a program story, it's that um, it's, it's um, Denny's, um, Denny's on fire one day um, after a, a rainstorm, which is a, another story, and um, and he's just going on and off. And I had read, I knew Denny well enough by then, and I worked with him enough that he's going to yell at these kids, and he's going to want them to do something right after. Certainly. So, um, so I grabbed, I grabbed Rachel, because that's the only person I could find. Cause I didn't, and um, I'm like, I'm like, come with me. We gotta, we 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 gotta get a program done. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, he's going to send them out to activity. Um, and as soon as he's done spazzing at him, because he doesn't want, him, doesn't want him to go back in the cabins and and sit there and sulk, so I mean it stopped raining. So I grabbed Rachel and I and and I swear to God we did a program in four and a half minutes, which is a modern <laughs> record with no courts. So Ooh. which is which which is tough to do. So Denny is ranting at, at the kids about being out in this in this storm. All right, they're mudsliding on the campus, and this is the year we have the two ninety kids. It's I mean it's a mess. So he's yelling everything you could possibly yell at him and if anyone's ever seen Denny during a storm and for good reason because he had witnessed uh, something that no one should ever witness in their life so he, he certainly had his reasons sure but he, he gives it to him good for a good solid I mean we had such started we ran in did the five minute program came out he's going for another for another <laughs> for another 10 minutes and he's like and um, he's and so he, he's done and sure enough he goes okay where's the program and and I'm like, we've got, I'm like, we got it. And he's like, he turns around, he's like, you do? And he's like, he's like, give it to him and go to activities. And right as it starts to go to activities, keep in mind, he's been yelling at them for being out in a storm for 20 minutes. It starts raining again. And Asher Wenig yells from the lineup line, Denny, it's raining. And Denny goes, it's not raining, go to activities. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I always like that one. And I like some of the phrases Denny used at that lineup, but um, we're just Keep those, uh, yeah, keep awesome. those internally. <laughs> well, I will say, and and we joke around about it a little bit, but I have to honestly say, and and I'll get a little emo- sentimental personally, but uh, I came to camp in two thousand, and I was brought in as the uh, music and drama guy. <clears throat> and I will tell you honestly, I think I may have said it before. Denny Rosen did not use the word sports at any time during my hiring process. <laughs> 
not at all. So I showed up the first day and we had a, a campfire for pre-camp and everyone stands up. Ah, my name's Joe. I'm here to do this. I'm literally the last person to speak. I'm the only person that doesn't say a sport or the waterfront. <laughs> and it only took about 30 people before I realized what I stepped into. <laughs> so that, it's, it's not that I hated sports. I just I was never really a big right. athlete, whatever. So it wouldn't have been the first place I chose. Uh, so for the first week and a half, I just really didn't have, I didn't know what to do. I had a girlfriend back home I just broke up with. So I'm already a little heartbroken and now I don't have any friends here and it's nothing I'm interested in doing. And I'm hired to work the whole summer. I got to have something to do all day and I can't just sit around and clean the rec hall every day, which I, <laughs> I legitimately did for the first seven days I was at camp. Every period I was assigned to clean the rec hall. And you know, you guys were stuck with me too as a program staff. You're like, well, here's we don't know what he does. Like he doesn't love sports, whatever. So you put me in a couple of things and then you assign me to ump a softball game with Alfie Transky. And between sort of like easing me into it and him helping me there, I found my place and I probably umped eh, a game or two a day for the rest of the summer by the time it was done. And I can honestly say that had that not happened, had you not made that choice and then made it stick and then sort of like positively reinforced it after the fact, I would not have had any interest in coming back. I, di- I didn't leave that summer with a ton of friends. I left that summer with an ill-fated fiance and <laughs> one or two people I would call a close friend. And it means the world to me. And, and again, none of this would be happening had you guys not made that call. So that's a big thank you from me to you. Yeah, I think it uh, got you into the, the camp mode a little bit and, and it helped it. But, but isn't that one of Denny's, Denny's geniuses? And you think about it and look, no one particularly in, in the in the 2000 to 2006 with you know years and and you know really you know what I consider my my kind of prime at camp 2000 to 2004 mm-hmm. um, you know I guess not I guess the whole way through but but those years when we had the huge enrollments uh, but you know and I so I love those ex-campers coming back and being the staffers but you know you look at some of the people who have spent the longest 10 years at camp and keep in mind that I also skipped six years so I'm kind of a hybrid but look at yourself I mean how many people are left on staff from the day you came look at JD Williams uh he's still there he's still there um you know working uh guys like uh like uh JT Timmons had long careers there I mean six seven years at staff Tamir um you know 20 plus years 20 plus yeah you know, there i mean the previously I mentioned mean, dakota brown right <laughs> the previously mentioned dakota brown um so i mean but i mean so so there are guys that have had huge impacts at camp that um you know were not former campers and um and really their their imprints on it just as much if not more than anyone and yeah. and you're certainly um one of those i mean denny wasn't a camper um there's that's no true one, no one in history with a bigger imprint on camp than than, than Denny, in my opinion. And That's that, certainly and that, true. Uh, probably includes at this point, um, you know, certainly side by side with Al, if 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 if, if not the other way. So, yeah. Um, agreed. All right. Well, we cannot uh, we cannot come anywhere near a close without telling us the story that changed your life at camp. Oh, so, my wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife. Um, <laughs> I actually kind of forgot about that until you just said it. Uh, not forgotten about my wife, but forgotten uh, that. Um, yeah, I. Um, no, that that is a good story. That the um, it's kind of a two part story. So I I um, I came back. To my my wife, uh, uh, Kristen Kristen Pokola as a, as a maiden name, was um, looking uh, for a summer job years back in the early nineties. And uh, her sister worked at an overnight camp. I don't remember the name of it, but it had closed that summer. So um, 
she put him in touch with Denny, and uh, it was still in the early years of, of uh, Denny and Sandy running camp, and, they, and Sandy had done the whole office by herself and was looking, um, was looking to get some help because she wanted to play more tennis. So sure. um, the first thing is Denny Rosen's love, or Sandy Rosen's uh, love of tennis um, is why I'm married. So um, at least uh, <laughs> one of the reasons. So, um, so she ended up at camp, but she, um, she was actually there in the years I wasn't there. And then um, when I came back in 94, she wasn't there. She took that summer off, but she came up in 95 to work again. Mm. And, um, and we were friendly. We never dated or anything like that. Um, I, I had actually a really cool red convertible at the time, and I lent it to her hoping maybe I could, um, you know, you know, get in on something, but, sure. um, you know, I was apparently too stupid enough just to go with. So, um, so she um, took the car so and she took, took someone else on. <laughs> took some other guy. And, um, and, um, you know, I ended up with nothing. Um, but we, we were finally all summer and then, uh, she stopped coming back, um, after that. And, um, and, um, you know, never talked to her, saw her again. And then, um, in, in 2002, which again is probably one of the, the best years ever camped, if not the best because of the cab and everything like that. Else. The, um, um, there's a couple, <laughs> a couple of funny stories here. We'll, 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 we'll leave it to you to see what you're going to want to use here. But, um, so, um, the first story is that in 2002, you know, it, one of those years where, uh, where the, um, you know, these snow or straight stories start popping up again. So, um, you know, when these popped up every three or four years, I would find, um, as, as you have done periodically throughout sure, the years, of course. find uh, one of the eligible females in camp to, um, to, um, <laughs> to spend some time with. So, um, right. so, um, um, so, um, yeah, my, my choice of summer was a arts and crafts girl who shall remain nameless, but, um, by you too, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, she shall remain but, nameless. Yeah. But, um, you know, after a few weeks with her, you really want to get married to someone else. So, so, um, oh, wow. so that, so, um, you asked, so, um, so that's where I got started. But the other story going on that summer is that I got this great group of kids and, um, the kids are, are badgering me all summer. Coach collegiate week, coach collegiate week, mm. coach collegiate week. And I hadn't coached collegiate week. It was 2002. I hadn't coached collegiate week since 97. Um, and, um, and I'm the program director, so it's pretty odd to, to coach collegiate week. Right. And, um, and it wasn't quite like it is now because um, we were, you're trying to have the extra coach that you can build the suspense for the hat pull. Um, you know, this was just when we were getting all the former campers to SCs. So, so I had jokingly said to Elliot, like in week four, maybe I will coach the week. And um, I never really thought much about it. So about week six, Elliot comes up to me and goes, were you serious about wanting to coach collegiate week? And I'm like, not really, why? And they had, um, he's like, you know, the first time ever, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to have 12 teams. We have all these kids, and we have 11 really good, rock-solid SCs that are coaching, and we could use a 12th, we could, we could, we could use a 12th, and it would be great if you'd do it. And um, I remember, and, um, and I said, I don't know, I'll, I'll think about it. So about two days later, Denny calls me in to, uh, to or Elliot calls me into Denny's office, and Denny's like, so you're coaching Collegiate Week? I'm like, oh, shit, I'm coaching Collegiate Week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and I will tell you that the Collegiate Week, the, the announcement was great. Uh, it was a great, it was, it was, I didn't expect anything like it. Elliot did it perfectly. Yep. That he did a fake out, and there was like this pause, and um, I never expected that type of reaction. It was really fun. So that was great. Picking my JC, who I picked, uh, John Center, who was actually one of those original second four-week campers in 95. And, right. um going to his wedding next week. So, um, 
um, as a JC. Picking the first rounder was great. My problem in collegiate week was that after about the fifth round, I realized I didn't know one other kid's athletic ability in the entire camp, which brings us back to my, my wife. So we, we were pretty good the first three or four days, but by the you know by the fifth day, we're fading towards the middle of the pack. And sure. I know enough because I've run part of Collegiate Week with Elliot and helped him. We don't have a team to do it, so we're just having a good time. And I go in, um, I go into lunch, and I sit at the head staff table, and there's this woman sitting next to me. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and I'm like, I'm like, Kristen Pokola. She's like, Craig Snower. And um, so in between me kind of coaching my collegiate week team, um, we spent the day together hanging out and stuff like that and um, had a good conversation. Ex- must have exchanged addresses because we're in the early days of emails still. Right, yeah. And um, when I had gotten home, um, there was literally a letter Delivered by U.S. Mail. Wow. Um, you know, it was great catching up with you. We got to get together. And she was living in uh, Minneapolis at the time. Mm. So um, we uh, started, uh, um, I think I wrote a letter back. I must have typed it because, as previously right. mentioned, I can't write. <laughs> and uh, we, um, we went into email after that and then, um, then a few phone conversations. And, um, and um, she drove down to Chicago, and um, I started going up to Minneapolis, and by the time camp was getting close to roll around, she had kind of rearranged. I mean, um, I mean, we pretty much knew we were going to be together at that point, um, that she was going to spend five weeks of her vacation um, at, at Ojibwa, um, working as now an office manager. This is an sure. upgrade from camp secretary, apparently. <laughs> right. and, um, and, um, and, yes, I proposed at camp at the point um, in the – sixth or uh seventh week and um and it's great and and she remains uh um i remain a big camp person and she certainly loves camp but she's a huge eagle river person so yeah. one of the reasons um you know we're, we're up in eagle river is we spend um 10 days at wild eagle up there um you know every summer and when you know you've been out to dinner with us she'll mm-hmm. talk camp with the uh absolutely the best of them and um and uh She's got some good stories of, of her own from uh, from living in the infirmary with uh, with the nurses from oh, over the years sure. and things like that. So um, so I would say that camp's definitely given me a lot. Some uh, some really good lifelong friends, certainly um, guys like Elliot and David Salzman, who is now a camp doctor, um, John Center, and um, my wife, uh, most importantly, and um, really a little bit of uh, an edge that I use in my coaching career and my business career. Awesome. Well, I think we got it, man. This has been fantastic. Well, we're glad you're doing this uh, project. I think it's really cool, and um, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. I'm so glad you could take the time to come out and be a part of it. Okay, that is it. Another episode in the books for the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. Craig Snower with some great stories. And I got a little uh, little emotional back there. I meant it when I said it. it's, a, it's a big thank you to Craig. I wouldn't have lasted as long as at camp as I have if not for him really stepping in and helping me out early on. As always, if you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, you know how. Email me, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Or just check out the website, www.campojibwahistory.org. The tour continues. 
I spent last week in Phoenix, stopped one night in Vegas, and this week, Southern California. Los Angeles today, Palm Desert tomorrow, and on up the coast later in the week. Seeing a lot of guys, a lot of classic guys, getting a lot of great stories on tape. Those are going to be ready for you in the coming months. But that is it from here. It's a beautiful day in L.A., but I'm in a sketchy part of town, so no cigar for me. So um, the head of the JCs in 96, 97, somewhere, somewhere in there, and um, it's, it's like 12.30, 1 in the morning, and all of a sudden I'm asleep and I get this tap on my shoulder, and it's, it's Denny. And this is rare because this has only happened twice in, in all, my, all my years at camp. Um, and um, Denny's like, uh, just got a call from Anakwa Police Department, a bunch of the JCs arrested in jail come with me to pick them up come with me to pick them up wow so we get in one of the the big vans and uh and we're driving down and you know it's it's fine denny and i are talking no big deal and he's he's mad but he's you know he's calm he's focused he, mm. you know i mean one thing about denny is he'll he'll um you know his his camp is the most important thing but he'll protect his own and his immediate concern was certainly for the the staff people who he was in charge of sure and, you know handling it you know as he always does and so we go, we get, we get down to Manaqua and we, we get him out, we pick him up and, and, you know, he, you know, he tells me, he tells me no words, we're just silent. So, and so, and, and I'm still, you know, I'm, um, you know, relatively high in camp, but I'm, you know, still pretty young in this whole, in this whole deal. So, so we're driving back and I, I will tell you, you can hear a pin drop in this van. I mean, he's not saying a word. There's no radio. There's no nothing. He's just driving. So there's a cut through from um, Manaqua to St. Germain. I believe it's Highway J. Um, So, and it's this, if you've ever been on Highway J, this is a long, very, very dark road. I mean, you know, I've driven it a few times back in the day. We used to go to the Manaqua movie theater or or go up there um, and, um, and you're literally afraid you're going to get killed by a deer half the time. And since I've hit a deer at camp, um, you know, I, I don't really want to, don't want to go through that. Somewhat but, famously. But uh, <laughs> somewhat famously, I did kill Bambi once. So in Elliot Friedman's car. Um, so we're, um, we're, we're, we're driving back and we're about halfway through Jay. And I, I don't know how long Jay is, but it's, it's gotta be at least 10 miles, if not bigger. And then he pulls off the road and turns around and says, get out. And the, the kids are just like, and the, the JCs are just like in stun. They're like, like what? And he goes, he goes, get out. He goes, I've got you close enough. You got about, you know, whatever he said, 15 miles left. You you start now. You'll make it back for uh, for Revelway. And um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, just walk to the end of this road, make a right, and keep go down, make another right, and you'll hit Meadow Lake Road eventually. And um, and the the kids get out. So. Uh, so we, we get in the car, and, uh, and uh, Denny starts driving away. And I'm trying to decide, I mean, <laughs> but, like, what the, I'm like, he can't be serious. He can't be serious. And, but I'm a little afraid of someone. He's driving, and he gets, you know, he goes about, I don't know, a half mile up the road. And he, and he finds, like, and probably had done this before because he knew this strip pretty good. He turns around but off the road so he couldn't get hit. And, and uh, so he turns the van around. And uh, so now we're now we're facing the other way, and finally go go 
Dan, what are you doing? And he looks at me and goes, you don't really think I'm leaving them in the middle of this highway, do you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it, it, it crossed my mind. He goes, he goes, so he rolls down the windows and goes, all right, don't make a sound. All right, so, so, he's, so we're just sitting there for, you know, three, four minutes. And all of a sudden, you can start to hear their voices, like, talking to each other. And he waits, like, another 30, 45 seconds, turns on the car, hits the horn, hits the horn, shoves the brights at him, and I and these these guys are diving into the woods. I mean, one of them's like frozen like a deer in headlights, no pun intended. I mean, I mean, and uh, I mean, and he is and and he is just laughing his ass off, having the having the having the time, having the time. Mean. And it might, no, come around, there were still heavy repercussions the sure, next day, of course. but. But in the in the joke and scaring the crap out of them, there was probably an also also a bit of okay, we're we're going to figure this out and and get through it. But oh my god, I mean, I I cannot remember laughing that hard in my life. That's <laughs> amazing. That is amazing. Awesome. Perfect.